It's Peter. On this episode of Hey Good Chat, we're going to have a good chat with Amy Sample Ward, CEO of N10 and co-author of The Tech That Comes Next. You might want to be sitting and focused for this one. There's a lot they cover off on here. I still think we should have probably made this a two-part episode. Thanks for joining us and... Welcome to the podcast. All right. Welcome to Hey Good Chat. We're excited to have you here with us for this episode with an amazing, accomplished person to chat with us today. We're going to be talking with Amy Sample Ward, who is an accomplished author and CEO of N10. Thanks for joining us, Amy. Yay. Thanks for having me here to the dance party. Yes. Yes. I think a great place to start would be just to learn a little bit more about you and uh, what brought you to where you are today and kind of what inspires you. Oh my gosh. We have like three hours to record my answer to that question. <laughs> yes. <laughs> gosh, how far, where, where do I begin with who, who I am and how we got here? What's, what's the best, you know, are we talking like age three first memories or, you know, first job, where you want to go? <laughs> well, we, we talk to people a lot about what, you know, since we're talking to people in like the social impact or public interest impact space, we, we cover the, the childhood things. Like I, I received these acts of kindness growing up and it, and it inspired me in this way, or I had this adversity and through that, I learned to advocate for others. These are the kind of conversations that we've had with, with some people. In others, it's been like, I saw an opportunity in the space. I saw a need in the space, and I took it. So completely different age levels, completely different experience levels. Everybody's got a unique journey, um, but it's fun to find the mirrors and the correlations with our own personal journeys mm-hmm. that comes from that. So maybe start with that, that most impactful moment or that, that most adverse moment, or something lighter. <laughs> I have a story for you, and I think it's one that now, as a parent, I feel like I understand this kind of memory, this experience, as being far more impactful than when I was the kid experiencing it. It was just like, this is normal. You know, you just, I think as kids, you're just like, new information. This is the world, right? You're taking it in. And then later in life, um, like I said, especially now as a parent, I look back and think like, wow, that really shaped how I thought about so many things. And even today shapes how I think about things. Um, I grew up in kind of rural Oregon and um, there was a town, a couple towns away from my town, my town's name was revoked. Like we were very small. So define town loosely in this story. Um, (laughs) But there was a town, a couple towns away when I was um, in elementary school that passed a law that I'm sure was written in a very intentionally cloudy way with fancy words or whatever. But the practicality of this this law for the city was that essentially they could discriminate by race on who got to have business licenses and who got to run shops. And I am white. My parents are white. And I didn't necessarily grow up thinking my parents were especially or particularly 
politically active. I didn't grow up going to protests. I wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything like that. It was kind of a kind of a regular, you know, family um, in that way. And when they passed this law in this town, a couple towns over, my parents told us about it and said, we're never stopping the car in that town. And I was like, what? Like, I don't even understand, <laughs> you know? And they said, well, they did this. So we will not give any support to any business in that town because it's the only mechanism of power we have, right? It's the only lever we have to say, we don't agree. And I remember the most practical impact on us was that was the town with the good grocery store. <laughs> so we spent years going to the bad grocery store in the other town. Um, and then eventually, years later, they, you know, the city council for that other town changed it. And my parents were like, we're going to the good grocery store. Like we get to go back, you know, we're stopping the car in that town again. And I remember even as a little kid saying to, to other kids at school, you know, oh, oh, you shop there? Well, you shouldn't shop there. Because if all of us stop shopping there, they have to change, you know? And and it just was like a very regular thing. I thought, oh, I'm just sharing information that I have, you know, with someone else. And, and now as an adult and someone who's spent the last 20 years <laughs> trying every lever I can find to make change in the world, I always think back to that story and think like how wonderful it was that it was framed almost from parents who weren't otherwise super politically active, that it was framed as like, well, this is the natural consequence of something that happened in the world, right? That of course we would, we would do this. We would take on, go into the bad grocery store for years <laughs> because of this. Um, and, and as a parent, I often think and have conversations with our, our daughter, like, well, it doesn't matter who you are, what's the thing that happened and what's the thing you want changed? what can you do from where you are? Whatever seat you're in, whatever position you're in, change is something that you have access to some way. Um, and it's just a matter of finding that and, and moving forward with it. Wow, what a beautiful story. And at such a young age too, to see the power of an individual act um, kind of leading to collective change. That's wonderful. Thanks for sharing Yeah, and it was so, I also feel like it's such a gift that, so rarely do we do we actually see like the whole and then they changed it you know years later and then we got to go like I feel like there's a lot of stories of just committing to something and and the change not coming you know or coming so so long later but this was a, a gift in that experience that it really you did see the other side of it and like get get to move forward yeah how do you see um that experience kind of infusing in the work that you do today that's a great question. So at N10, we really feel like we're doing work every day that's at like a very tactical, we helped this person learn this thing today. And also we were on a call talking about, you know, how we're going to push through a Senate policy to get a bill passed, like big, big systems and direct support for an individual at the same time every day. Um, and I think part of what I think about from that experience as a kid and, and how it, at least even if it's not that specific experience, that the way it shaped my thinking is that it is possible to do both of those things every day. You know, it is possible 
to address people's needs in real time and say, why do we have these needs? <laughs> like change the whole system, right? Um, yeah. And it's not it's not about just picking one or the other as if they are separate from each other, right? Like we we have to change these systems that are creating these conditions. And also those are the folks who I think we should be connected to and who should be shaping the way we change the systems, right? The folks who who are experiencing the most harm from the from the conditions now. I think that's uh, um, addressing micro issues on a micro scale and then a macro scale at the same time is a really impactful way to actually build the change you want to see in the way that you said. And I think CSR programs that infuse both of those are really successful typically in the work that they do. Yeah. And you're not saying that like one's more important than the other or one's more pressing than the other. They, they are inextricably connected. So we have to do both, right? And I think it can, of course, be challenging to have a program plan or, <laughs> you know, a, a strategy that includes multiple things. It's hard to even hold multiple truths in our brain at one time. But if we can do that, I think it makes any of those programs or strategies a lot stronger. And gratification has to be a motivator. Yes. Be, having wins along the way when you're going towards big goals, at least for me, just being able to check some box and, and feeling that I accomplished something helps with the next step. Yeah, and you're going to have probably more wins in one side of that than the other, right? You're going to have more wins helping people directly just because we're humans and that's so much more validating than trying to do maybe a really long time project at the systems change level. But again, if you're doing both of them, you get the benefit of feeling that the wins are happening while you're working and, and trying to fuel that longer term work. I've been told that vibes are the most important KPI. <laughs> so we, we kind of went into some things that N10 does, but what is N10? So N10 is a nonprofit organization. Um, we were formed a little bit unconventionally, um, 22-ish, 23-ish years ago, back in 2000, hundreds of people who knew that technology could help nonprofits meet their mission, who knew that technology could support social change work, were trying to find other people who thought that and knew that to be the case and um, started self-organizing their own, you know, conferences, resource sharing, et cetera. And that community um, was great and thriving as, as hundreds of folks. However, I think as many communities experience, it's difficult to self-organize at that scale and, and have ways to stay connected. And then this was, you know, Yes, it was a few hundred folks, but it was also folks from, you know, a dozen different countries. So it really was widespread. And uh, the community at one of their gatherings literally took a vote. And well, not all, the majority of folks said, yeah, let's start an organization. And that organization was N10. And um, so that kind of convening of of diverse folks who who see and know that tech can support this work has always been the framing of who this community is and not, you know, a single founder or a single type of organization or a single mission, right? It's always been technology companies and consultants and providers and funders and nonprofit staff and volunteers, you know, all, all together in the community. And so 
fast forward to, to now, um, our mission is pretty much still the same to make sure that all missions and movements actually can be successful with strategic and equitable technology use. We have never and do not recommend products. We don't explain how certain products work. You know, um, we really feel like the folks who built different tools are best suited to be the ones talking about how to use them. Um, but the piece that we add is how do you think about technology? How do you budget for technology? When should you use it and when should you not use it, right? How do you really ensure that the way you're thinking about and using technology in social change work is keeping your impact in your community at the center and not making decisions, you know, well, this is what the report looks like, so that's the data we're collecting. Nope. <laughs> you know, what data do you need to do your work and make sure that the technology bends to that and not that your mission is bending to the technology. So we have lots of different programs, professional certificates, a conference, research reports, um, but kind of in and around all of those programs is the N10 community, just, you know, 50,000 plus folks who see this space and want to be part of it and share with each other, um, including Okta and lots of other folks, that, that no technology has the potential to really kind of accelerate impact. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step backwards on our path through the forest here. <laughs> and, and that strategic and equitable technology use, we're going to, can we meander to the plug vista behind my uh, Joy of Cookies book by Mr. Cookie Monster himself. I've got the tech that comes <laughs> next, your your most current offering, um, which covers that. It's it poses the question. It's just a it's a thinker, and I like that. <laughs> I like that that we're not um, forcing anything on anyone. Yeah, Afua Bruce, my co-author for the tech that comes next, and I often say. If there was a five-step plan for an equitable world, y'all, we would be in that equitable world. <laughs> there are no five steps. There's not even 50 steps. Like, we, we need to, to, I think, respect the scope of the change we're really talking about by not belittling it into, here's, here's the five parts, right? It is expansive and emergent and we will we will see the next step as we approach it, right? Versus if we already had the whole map, then there'd be no excuse why we're not there. And it's really because we are trying to like navigate as we go with as many people as we can through that process. And I think part of how the book is framed is that it's actually about asking really challenging questions of ourselves and of folks that we're trying to collaborate with without already knowing what the answer is or that there's one right answer. Um, and so we focused a lot in working on the book on what's the framing of questions that, you know, a tech company could ask a, a nonprofit or that a nonprofit could ask a funder that, again, doesn't already have one answer, but will give them so much information about whether and how <laughs> they could partner going forward, you know? Um, and I, we've already heard from lots of folks in a lot of different sectors, you know, we'll get an email that says, oh, we took this question from the book and we asked it in a meeting. And then we spent the entire meeting <laughs> talking about that question, you know, because it kind of opened up 
one thing that led to another that led to another, right? And and I think that's what makes us really excited that that change is happening because people aren't approaching things with, oh, I already know the answer, but I'm going to ask and then we're going to move on and we're going to do this. Like really not knowing is letting is letting go of what's already around us and saying, I don't know what's coming from this. Let's figure it out. When the questions were being asked in the room and the room turned into just covering the question and how big that was and how impactful that was. Mm-hmm. And my, my takeaway from, from these types of questions that it's less about answers and more about action, is that what we're shooting for? Instead of just knowing things, we're, we, we're, we're planning the solution. You know, it's interesting. I feel like our relationship to action is sometimes the same as feeling like we're, we already have an answer in mind because sometimes the action isn't ours to take. Sometimes we get in this conversation and say, y'all, we're not the right ones for this conversation. Like, I'm not the most impacted. I should not be driving this this table, right? So sometimes looking for action in the conversation is maybe taking on a role that we are being invited to step back from and um, saying, actually, you know, what's the process here? And maybe the action in that process isn't mine, but I wonder even just what you just said, if you replace the word action with process, Again, does that now make it a more expansive understanding of what happened in that room at that table than, than the way it was framed before when, when the word was action, right? What processes are we opening up? What's the process from, what are the, what's the process that's coming from this versus what's the action? And saying, you know, the process is going to have a lot of parts. It's going to have a lot of people, hopefully, um, a lot of different people. And I think we have, as all sectors really been trapped in the in in some of like the capitalist white supremacist values of like speed there is only one answer there is a right way these things that don't let us sit in process and say who is missing how could this be better we're prioritizing moving fast and moving as a smaller group instead of as a bigger group um and i think part of what we're hoping with this book is that we are really inviting and and holding people to the expectation that you do slow down, that you do invite more people in, that it's not about going as fast and far as you can with as few people as you're still holding on to, right? Because that's what we've been doing for centuries and this is where we're at. <laughs> so we need a different we need a different approach. That's that's what so that's hefty for me to unpack. And you know I mentally my head was already going to, well, perfection's the enemy of good, as opposed to hearing what you were actually saying of, are the right stakeholders involved? Are the right issues being addressed? What are the issues that are supposed to be addressed? What's the process for doing that? Who should own it? Who should be accountable to it? And I'm I'm near hyperventilating. <laughs> you know, we talk a lot in the book about community ownership. And it's not only community ownership of a piece of software. It's community ownership of every single piece of, 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 of what these other sectors or roles get to hold now, 
you know, nonprofit organizations hold their missions and are deciding on their programs, what's community ownership of that look like, where it doesn't have to be mediated through an IRS determined organization, right? What's community ownership of actual resource collection and redistribution instead of a foundation, right? What is What does technology development look like when it is owned by a community versus by an entity that is saying that they can own and distribute that technology, right? Um, and not because we think that that's like something everybody's implementing tomorrow, but it felt to us like an important kind of far away concept that if we were already thinking about that now, what does it shift for how we think about decision-making or uh, processes today? And part of what's come up a lot in conversations is, well, communities aren't ready for that ownership. We're saying, exactly. That's 100%. We agree that communities aren't ready because we continue to not let communities in to a level that they could even be part of talking about what transition to community ownership looks like right? We continue to make those walls hard and fast. And if we think about that, again, from like a nonprofit program perspective, hey, how do we make sure that a lot of community members are here when we're making decisions or are uh, who we have to report back to and say, we made a decision and it wasn't great or, or it was great. Yay. Like let's celebrate together, right? So that we're starting to to make the walls not hard and fast, but have lots of windows or have lots of doors or maybe be a half wall, you know, like we are, we, there, IRS does still exist. We do still have to operate in some of these systems, but to the extent where possible, how do we make sure we're, we're only doing the pieces that are absolutely required and community is a part of the rest. And what does that look like, you know, in a, in a tech company that's creating technology too? I think there's a lot of other, new ways for actual participation. And, um, and that's really exciting to me. You know, I um, have a long history in community organizing and, and election mobilization, things like that. And I, I always have said, representation is not participation. You don't get to say there was someone in the room that looked like you, that lived where you live, that does what you do. That's not participation in a process, right? That was one person who yeah, was from that area or was from that, you know, community, but it's not the same as deeply allowing for participation of a community in, in whatever it is we do. And there's a big difference between presence and participation, just, yeah. just being in the room and at the table yeah, is, is not something I, you had mentioned this, this system about being identified as a nonprofit versus being a, just a community organization. And that's something that across this industry, I hear from, hear about, see a lot where yeah. there are individuals and groups that are trying to take advantage of offers open to nonprofits or people that are trying to get them into it. And the question, well, how long does it take to, to become a 501c3? What, what's the effort involved? And it's like, you, you need to be beyond the capacity of a startup. Right. And have legitimate funding and time and mindset to qualify to be someone that could even fill out the paperwork. Right. <laughs> and there are loopholes that I see popping up like fiscal sponsors, but even those have the same level of exclusion yeah. based on capacity that the, that the traditional system has. Well, and I also think part of that gets reinforced by believing that we that technology should be part of and an organization should exist forever. And I don't know that I 
think that's true. <laughs> you know, um, I'm not saying that it doesn't take a lot of effort and resource and knowledge and, and everything else to make technology, but when it is not needed, it does not need to be there for whatever that purpose was, wherever it was plugged in. Same with an organization. And I think we had the opportunity to learn, in, you know, from the last few years of pandemic, how many systems of support existed, especially in hyper-local, you know, geographies that were not certified by the IRS, right? They were mutual aid organizations. They were people coming together to address very real immediate needs. They probably could have done it a lot more effectively if they had access to like, you know, uh, uh, Google Suite or, uh, you know, all these other tools, right, that organizations have the benefit of using. But we've so focused on, well, we need it to be a C3 because that's what a nonprofit is. And also, like, that takes 18 months. And like you said, a whole board and money and all these other things. But that also means that now we're, we're relying on a lot of people to coordinate efforts without any of the actual capacity <laughs> that organizations have when they're the ones who see it and are also able to respond. So I think it is, it is more of a, a crisis for the, the tech sector and nonprofit sector where they work together than is maybe being understood. You know, it, I get that it is maybe an administrative thing to talk about, but I see it as a real crisis of who gets to do the work of supporting our communities and who gets to do it well and effectively with technology. So we're talking about equity in the tech sector. We're talking community in the tech sector. I'm going to, I'm going to keep backing up because you always, you, you cover so much, like we should just make each Amy statement a show. And then <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you, you were talking about, uh, community tech and yeah. open source is a big happy place for me, uh, especially commercially supported open source, which is a glowing orb that we all need to figure out just a little bit better. Some friends of ours won the Pizzagatti prize last year at NTC. Yay! NTC is the trade show for N10, uh, by the way, and you have a few different prizes. Do you want to, you want to cover off like the NTC conference and what the goals are of it towards these kinds of solutions, and then maybe talk about Pizzagati and the other sure. prizes? Cool. Yeah, happy to. So the Nonprofit Technology Conference is the, is the name of that convening that we see as N10 stewarding now that the community started before we were even formed. And the next conference that's in 2023 will be our first where we're back in person. It'll have an online registration option too, but um, it's kind of exciting to think that people will be in a big room again together after a few years where that wasn't an option. Um, and like the rest of the N10 community, the conference is, is really every different type of job title and organizational mission and, and even organization type with technology uh, providers and funders and nonprofit staff and board members, consultants, everybody. And I think what we often see come out of that are folks who are there looking for new technologies that they can use and getting to talk with providers and vendors, but also other folks who maybe share a mission and have an insight into what works, um, as well as folks who come there to figure out, like, what do I build next? What what is the thing that organizations need? What's the thing that, um, you know, could support more missions? And, and um, so that's exciting that folks are getting that kind of feedback from that space. And for 
a number of years now at the NTC. It was also the, the physical, literal stage for announcing the Pizzagati Prize recipient of the year. Um, the Pizzagati Prize is a prize started um, 20 plus years ago um, by the, the family of Tony Pizzagotti, who was a early open source advocate and developer who really saw both open source and technology generally as being something that could really, really influence and support social change. He was an activist, used his technology um, skills in, in service of many campaigns around the world. And the prize is kind of a, a continuation of that legacy, supporting folks who are building open source for for good in a, in a lot of different ways. And I'm excited. I'm not sure when this conversation will be published, but the next Pizzagotti Prize applications will open in December 2022 and close in February 2023. So if you are listening to this, and you yourself are developing an open source tool for social impact, um, please go apply. I promise we'll get this out in early January then. Perfect. And what's the URL? Where do, where do we point people? If you go to the N10 website, we will make sure it is easy to find uh, from the homepage. Um, it's also in the navigation under the change option. Perfect. We'll drop those in show notes. And I can't wait to see what gets nominated. So some of our listeners um, are already a part of organizations um, working in CSR space. And I've heard a little bit from you about um, finding ways to be intentional in the way that we're building programming and uh, inclusive in who's in the room when we're making decisions. Do you have any other suggestions for people that are either in programs that are already established or starting new programs? You know, I think that there's been more more examples in in the broader funding space of what participatory budgeting processes look like for funding, for fund distribution versus I think traditional participatory budgeting has been, you know, a government is saying, help us prioritize or an or a nonprofit is saying, help us prioritize. But um, thinking about some of those lessons and examples as it relates specifically to the folks you're talking about, I think is a really interesting space for, for new ideas. And I think we've seen some really interesting work from Fidelity. Fidelity has, um, you know, yes, they have lots of DAFs, but on their, on their actual foundation side where their trustees make grants kind of in a more traditional way, they have focused a lot on how do we make sure all of these grantees know each other and how do we support uh, them networking with each other to do even more, you know, outside of any specific grant requirements, there's nothing like that. But it's been really interesting seeing them kind of take on that work of, well, it's on us to help them connect or it's on us to give them these resources or opportunities versus I think a lot of funders feel like their grantees are a community because to them, they see them all, but they're not necessarily all connected. Um, and Okta's done that as well, making sure that there's spaces to convene everyone that's um, gotten grants and is part of kind of their ecosystem of, of what they're supporting. And so that's like a great first step. And then what do we do from there to say, 
hey, who else should we fund it? Or what are you learning? What are your struggles? How do we have that inform our strategy, right? So I think there's some folks who maybe aren't yet at the convening and connecting and really creating community stage. And then from there saying, okay, well, how do we invite you further into the process? That's that's really awesome because over the past year, I've really seen how startups and nonprofits mirror each other. Yeah. Both in like bootstrapping, headcount, you do the job that's there, who cares what your title is? There's a right. mission. You're either you're in it or you're not. Like the, there's that certain level of passion. And this is just one more sign on that of like VC firms, they always commingle their projects. Right. They always build things up better. But hearing that this is now being acted upon in the same way through foundations and organizations that have DAFs and, and those kind of things, that's, I'm, I'm feeling empowered. I'm feeling like this is making more sense and that nonprofits are in a better space. Yeah. And I don't know that, of course, every organization has the capacity to show up to those things. So that's part of the the opportunity or the responsibility of the funder convening, right? Like, how do we make sure you can be at the meeting? Or what resource do you need to even consider collaborations, right? So there's there's more to really ensuring that folks are able to participate and show up. But I know even as N10, being an organization who's gotten to be in those spaces as a, as a grantee of those organizations and, and come to a Zoom, you know, with with a couple dozen other organizations, we've left that meeting having like, DMs in the call, you know, and then have a call with another organization that we literally didn't even know existed until this call. And now we're talking about program coordination and scholarship coordination and all of these things that actually make our missions so much better that all it took was us actually knowing about each other through that call, you know, and getting to have a a 10 minute intro about what they did and realizing, oh my gosh, we should totally work with you, you know, but there's so much going on that, of course, we can't all know about everything and everyone. And I know Zoom fatigue is real, but also places for connection are just so, so valuable. And I think that folks who are doing the funding or whatever the case might be, if you're in the position to convene, it is a really powerful position and, and you, you do have a gift that you can give people. Yeah, there's a, there's a self-imposed silo from being yeah. busy. There's a certain level of loneliness come, that comes from it. And I guess my, my statement as a people connector, I feel that anybody who's capable of being a people connector is obligated to do so. And it's criminal if you don't. <laughs> Hot take. You heard it. Yeah, we, we could define criminal, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, well, I'm, yeah, I always get morals and ethics confused, so I wasn't going to <laughs> try and say one was the other. But yeah, Amy, like you, I have strong opinions and I'm more than willing to help somebody unpack it in a very public arena. So, yes, yay. We'll, <laughs> yay. So <laughs> what's next? What's next? Where, what, what's the next topic? What's the next book? What's the, what do you see oh, next gosh. for the space? What do you wish we were doing? Because the, a big focus on why we're having these conversations publicly from every perspective in the space is beyond the people connecting beyond the, Oh man, I have to look up Amy and, and connect with them on LinkedIn. You know, we we're trying to inspire people to feel that connection, to understand that there are more people in the space to go, Oh wow. Amy really inspired me. I need to connect with them on LinkedIn. I need to ask them the questions or get pointed in the right direction. That's what I'm looking for in the space. Everyone to, to do better and be better. 
besides things being equitable, besides people understanding their mechanisms of power at any scale, what do you want to see next in the space? Oh my gosh. Thank you for that big question. I see your big question and I will. Jessica, do we do a dance party? Um, (laughs) You know, I think you don't have to connect with me on LinkedIn. Like just go do it. Just go do the work. Go ask the questions. Like, let me know if you do something and I'm happy to cheer or like or heart or do whatever I can. But also we won't get there if you have to go through me to get there. So that's never the goal. I think it's really interesting, this conversation about like, even just the way you framed it. So we had an N10 board meeting yesterday and the N10 board, like shout out, big love to all the N10 board members. They're all the best. Um, And one of the board members brought up because N10, we talk about equity a lot. Equity is the word that we talk about a lot. Um, Our commitment to the future is for an equitable and liberated world. It is not for belonging or inclusion or any of those other words. And that um, was a, it came up in the board meeting because a board member said, I really like that, but I feel like equity is under attack um, from a like marketing and PR perspective, that it's not about equity, it's about digital access. It's not about equity, it's about opportunity, right? And what, what is, what do we think about that? You know, like kind of open that up for conversation with the board. And I was so glad, A, to have board members who were <laughs> bringing these ideas up and are out in the world taking on that, that conversation when people are saying, no, it's not about digital equity. It's about digital access. And it is not. It is about digital equity. Access is a part of that, right? But when we, when we try to um, take away from the goal of the outcomes and say that it's actually this transactional thing right now. It's these access points that we could count or these, you know, opportunities, meaning people got jobs from home or whatever. When we, when we take away the big goal of an equitable world, equitable outcomes for everyone. And we say the definition is people like their jobs today or people had jobs today. I feel like we are letting go of the responsibility to get everyone there. And we're just counting a win right now. It's just like how we started this conversation, right? Yes, I want people to A, have internet that even comes to where they are (laughs) and have it be affordable and reliable, et cetera. And I would like to maybe have a different uh, view on how the internet works and is not like a monopoly situation, right? It has to be both. And as we see people, I think, back away from or kind of bury the the equity part and focus on only right now, well, then we're going to saying only right now goals matter and not the big goals also. And we have to do both, just like we said at the at the beginning of the call. Another one of those would this is this is the next episode. We've just paused and moved on. But <laughs> I don't want to do our relationship a disservice. And the reason I made that LinkedIn statement was you were the first person in this space to follow me back on Twitter. Oh, you were the first person to reach out and say, we need to talk about what's going on, what you're doing, what you're planning on doing. If anything, you're a shepherd 
for why this show even happens, for why I even took that action. So don't don't discount the power of reaching out to someone. Don't discount the power of responding to someone um, because your statement, your statement got me going. Well, I am happy to be the person that follows you back anytime. Whoever's listening, <laughs> if that's what you need to follow back, I got you. Just don't have like a weird spam profile, but you know. <laughs> your first message included the phrase, not in a creepy way. And it was about your actions, not mine. So I, I felt in a real good spot. <laughs> but it, see, it wasn't creepy because I led with not in a creepy way. <laughs> <laughs> so building connections including and finding ways to infuse equity into the work. Is there one good thing that you want to leave us with today? I think the one good thing that feels kind of present in in all the different things that we've talked about is it doesn't matter what your job title is or if you even have a job title or where you work or if you work, like the world can be better and it can only be better if you are part of helping it get there, you know, don't disqualify yourself or censor yourself out of that because y'all currently not getting there with only the people that are, that are trying. We want everybody in. And I think we have a lot of systems around us really consistently trying to tell us that we're not the one that needs to show up or we're not the one who's qualified or right or whatever. And we don't need to listen to that. You know, it really will take every person doing what they can from where they are. And that's also enough. It is enough for you to do what you can where you are. And and I hope folks feel that and feel like if what that is tomorrow is going to a meeting and asking a question you previously wouldn't have, you know, wanted to ask, great, that was what that's what the world needed tomorrow, you know, so I, I just, I don't want folks to feel like there's one path or one answer or one call to action. And also that there's only some people that get to be called to action. It's for all of us doing whatever we can where we are. All right. So how do we find you? How do we support you? We're going to drop tons of links in the uh, in the show notes. And uh, you Portlandians can figure out your bookstore of choice. <laughs> Jessica told me not to bring that up on this call. <laughs> so of course I'm going to bring it up on this call. So besides Powell's, where do we find all your books? <laughs> you should be able to find them wherever books are sold. Um, if you go to the techthatcomesnext.com, we have links to all of the different outlets that people told us they wanted to buy the book from. So that's not to say there aren't others, but we gave you a button for every outlet that people complained they wanted. And yeah, N10, N10.org, all of our emails are listed there. You can email me anytime. Of course, LinkedIn, Twitter, maybe by the time we yeah, are we giving up on Twitter. Let's, let's, let's <laughs> put a stake in the ground. RS Ward, LinkedIn, Amy Sample Ward. Um, happy to connect. Truly. Amazing. Thank you for spending time with us today and sharing story of how you started out as a young activist and have moved into um, all the incredible work that you're doing today with N10 and community organizing. Um, just thank you for all that you're doing. We appreciate you. Thank you. And thanks for this space. It was really fun conversation. That's what I wanted to hear. Hey, good chat. <laughs> <laughs> 
And that does it for this episode. Should you or someone you know be our next guest? Visit goodchat.org and click the link to nominate a guest. If you like what we're doing, please rate and review us and tell your friends. You can find other ways to support us at goodchat.org and uh, catch you next time. Do it.